I'm really excited to announce our very first sponsor of Exponentially Empowered, which is the Drom dating app. I know the founder of this product personally. He is all about growth mindset and our message on this show to build a beautiful new world. And this app can contribute to that because most dating apps suck. They're basically fast food face swiping apps. It's not based on the inner world. It's not based on core values. And Drom changes all that where you can create deal breakers such as growth mindset or political philosophy or religion or how to raise children, any core values. You can match with someone anywhere in the world, not just in your geographic location, anywhere in the world in order to connect with someone with your core values. So what if you could say, only show me people with a growth mindset who want kids and want to unschool them. That sounds phenomenal. And the other thing is, it's only video-based. There's no pictures. There's no texts. It's only video profiles and video chats. So this is more human and reduces disappointment when you do meet in real life. Drom lets you design your perfect match. There are no experts in match percentages. You pick exactly what you want and you only get those matches. If you don't find a deal breaker or a deal maker that's important to you, you can add your own and everybody sees it once it's approved. Drom is totally free. It's on Apple and Android phones and tablets. If you want to install the app, go to drum.date slash empowered. Click the Apple or Android button. Use the invite code empowered to sign up. That's D-R-O-M dot D-A-T-E slash empowered. Use the invite code empowered. Get signed up, design, and create your perfect match. All right. I have Kirsten Trammell here, the one and only Kirsten Trammell. She's host of the Who Wears Your Pants podcast, which is an unconventional guide to living on your terms, which is pretty dope. Who wears your pants? I mean, just that's just the coolest title I've ever come across, to be honest. And I, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. But uh, I met Kirsten in April at the Mind Camp retreat that I've talked about on the podcast a few times um, for the Mind Fix program, where we had the chance to work on our, ourselves and clear release these limiting beliefs, uh, among other um modalities of of um personal growth so we're just going to dive into kirsten's story and hopefully give you a little inspiration so welcome to the show thanks for having me (laughs) by the way like i really just love how you you are so positive and full of like sunshine maybe it's because you live in sunny san diego but uh like Kirsten is the type of person who is going to give you three exclamation points on her text message. So I just, I just like that positivity. Like I think positivity gets, uh, it's almost like people hear the term like positive thinking, and then it has this connotation of something that's not connected to reality or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not realistic. That's, that's uh, idealistic or something, but why not just choose to have that attitude of positivity and fun and joy? So I really like that about your vibe. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I th- well, I mean, like we can get right into it because I feel like sometimes people have toxic positivity, right? But yep. um, 
there's a balance between being realistic and living your in the clouds, I guess. Both are nice sometimes, but yeah, it's it's like anything else. Like it's about balance where you're you're not going too far on one extreme, too far on one side of the pendulum. Like if you're only doing um, positive thinking, then that is not realistic. If you're only doing negative thinking, I would say that's also not realistic, right? Because yeah. like the positives in this world are just as legitimate forms of reality, right? Totally. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I wanted to hear more about your story. And I like to ask people on this podcast about their experience growing up and like, we'll just branch off of that. But um, like, what were you like as a kid and what was it like growing up in your, in your home and going to school and like, tell us about your, your story from growing up. Yeah. Well, I have, I suppose, kind of a little bit of a different childhood. So I'm an American citizen and I've lived in America since I was 12. But before that, I lived overseas. Um, my parents were teachers and taught um, on DOD bases and also international school systems. So we, I, I was born in Germany. We lived there until I was about four. And then we lived in, moved to England, lived there until I think I was eight. And then we lived in Saudi Arabia for four years after that. Um, so I had definitely a different experience, I would say, um, just geographically and then culturally as well, that I'm super proud to have. And it, I don't know anything else, you know, as the only childhood I, I've had, but I, I loved every moment of it really. Wow. So Saudi Arabia for four years. So then at what age did you go to the U.S.? I moved to America when I was in sixth grade. So I was like 12, 13 years old. Okay. Okay. So wow, I'm curious about, well, what was that culturally like in Saudi Arabia? Like what memories do you have about that? Yeah, I, so, I mean, I was a kid when I was there. So I have a lot of childhood memories and honestly, we lived on the Gulf coast. So we like would go out boating in the, in the Gulf. And then we would go camping in the desert. Like there's all these sand dunes you can drive down and, and camp and all of these like really incredible things you can explore in the country that I don't think a lot of people would necessarily think of or know about. Um, but obviously the culture of the country is vastly different. And one of the main reasons we actually left was because I was becoming more of like a teenage girl and my parents didn't want me to grow up, you know, wearing an abaya or yeah. kind of being in a culture where like women can't like drive and do all of these different things. And I think they didn't want that to really influence my, my worldview. Um, and along with a couple of other things. Um, but that was one of the main reasons why we did actually leave in the long So did you time. sense that as a, a young, you know, as a kid, that there was that type of oppression for women or that type of culture? Yeah. I mean, I mean, Even. it was like everywhere, right? Like you're seeing women behaving in a certain way and wearing certain clothes. Right. Um, and as a kid, I don't think I totally understood the implications of what it all meant, but as soon as we like 
leave and go to a different place, it's a totally different world where, you know, come back to America and women are wearing spaghetti straps and, you know, driving cars and going to work and having jobs and things like that. So it was definitely like, that is a, a total shift, but. So you were at an international school. Mm-hmm, I was. So you had this sort of pocket of kids who were from all over the world or. Yeah. So in, um, in Saudi Arabia, I was at an international school and I was probably like one of two Americans in my class and the rest were from all over the country, like Pakistan the Philippines, um, South America, South America, like Argentina, Brazil, uh, people from literally everywhere, um, England, European countries. So it was really like a mishmash of everything. And I think, excuse me, I was like, one of three white kids in my class, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah. And it was, I actually really loved it. I didn't know anything different, you know, but it was a really cool way to at a really young age be exposed to a lot. So tell me about the, the school there, the style there. Was it pretty, like pretty much mirrored how you would experience an American school or Um, I think so. You know, it's funny because I didn't, now that I've lived in America for so long, there are certain things that I recognize that I never learned. Like, you know, American history wasn't something that you took like every year in an international school. And um, so there are like pockets of things that I never really learned too much about compared to other kids um, probably that were in an American school system. Um, And I think also part of it too, you know, we lived in Saudi Arabia and it was interesting because they have a lot of religious holidays and different things like Ramadan takes place. And we did learn a lot about the culture of the country that we were in. So we took like Arabic classes and things like that. So there were definitely some unique learnings that I had in the school, even though it was an international school system. Okay, so so I'm curious about your curiosity so like you remember liking for instance taking Arabic or did that seem like it was something imposed onto you or like what was tell me more about your experience with the structure of a school where there's topics that are um you know assigned to you to learn versus like what you were intrinsically curious to learn without anyone assigning you you know what I mean yeah totally I and this is just my personal experience I never when I was younger I never really not valued I never really did well like I did okay in school but it was really hard for me and I struggled a lot but and I would have to like work really really hard and especially um in Saudi Arabia like I was behind in reading and I had to go to like a special room to learn how to read and it was just always kind of a struggle for me mm-hmm. but So I think that that played into it, but I loved, I like loved PE and band and art class and all of the things that weren't like the sit down and read from a textbook and learn how to calculate problems and things like that. So even up until the point when I was like in college, I still, I understood and valued education, but it was never something that came really easily to me. Yeah, that whole notion of you're behind in reading I think that can be detrimental to a child you know like there's this comparison of 
you need to be at this certain level and it's one size fits all, you know? So what was your relationship with books? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing you're like a really a live person now. I think you read books. Um, <laughs> um, but like, how did that transform for you over time? Were you reading books on your own as a kid outside of school? Yeah. I mean, so because both my parents were teachers, I mean, my dad recognized that I was having issues with learning to re- how to read and like that was what he specialized in. So um, he definitely helped me a lot outside of school. And I mean, my parents were always like every summer, they'd be like, you need to read these books or like you can pick your books, but you got to read and all of these things. So it was kind of like they encouraged and helped me to overcome that. But I didn't really honestly value and like truly now I like love to learn and I love to read. And I don't think I reached that point, honestly, until I was out of school. Like I've always enjoyed certain things, but it didn't happen until I think I had like that freedom to really learn about what I wanted to learn about, like on my own terms. <laughs> so when you say after school, like post-college even. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so common. Like the amount that I've learned on my own without being assigned to it, it's just incalculably higher than what I learned in formal schooling. Yeah. Um, although I, I mean, I always say what I learned in school was the two topics I actually learned were music and Spanish mm. because all, I was interested in both and I took them for years in a row and said like, it took seven years of Spanish and then, you know, like eight years of music, you know, like, and so there was, that was something that was, those topics where you had the most choice over, you know, and you actually build a skill over time. Um, But yeah, it's so common that people don't really want to read um, because then it's assigned to you, especially like summer reading. And it sounds like you're, you know, you had teachers for parents and it sounds like they really had the most beloved intentions to help you to become, you know, a, a lifelong learner, to become uh, well-read and all that kind of stuff. But it, it totally makes sense that when it's sort of willed onto you and not coming from an intrinsically motivated place that you don't have that freedom to learn. Like you use that phrase free to learn. Like that's the name of a book by, have you heard of Peter Gray? Oh, hmm. yeah, he's, he's a big proponent of, of self-directed education and giving, giving kids that freedom to, to follow their curiosity and to have a more playful experience with learning. So fortunately you sort of came out of that as an adult and then you had some freedom and you rekindled that. Um, but yeah, tell me more about your parents as teachers and like, what were they like, what were they like overall, like as parents in terms of their philosophy or approach to parenting? Um, and then what was it like for them to also be teachers and like, how, how did that color things? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. I was going to say, before I answer that, the, I recently read a book um, called Limitless by Jim Quick and he, in it, it's all about, he talks about teaching yourself, like how to learn and how in school we're taught what to learn, but not really how to learn it. 
And it's a really interesting book. And he goes into a bunch of different like tactics and skills to help you actually remember things forever, not just for a moment and, and how to, as you're learning a topic or reading a book, actually absorb the information and like never forget it. Um, it's really interesting. And I had never thought about the perspective of the fact that in school, they just tell you, this is what you need to know, but they don't show you like, this is how you can learn, which I think is interesting. But um, okay, back to so my parents as teachers. Yeah, I think, you know, I've met a couple of people who have had their parents. Well, so actually, I should say that my dad also taught me in fourth and fifth grade. He was my teacher. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny because I only, I've actually met a couple of people that have had this similar experience where one of their parents was also their teacher. Um, and I think that we actually did a really good job. Like I, for the most part, didn't really ever feel like I didn't call him dad or anything like that when I was in class, but it definitely was interesting. And I like spent the whole day with him, but as a teacher, you know, and so that was definitely probably shape an experience that shaped me in ways I wait. So he, he called you, you called him Mr. Trammell. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Like when I would be in class, I'd call him Mr. Trammell and um, it didn't, it was so strange because I just like slipped right into that and it didn't really feel weird or anything like that. And um, yeah, so that was, that was definitely different to have my dad as a teacher. Um, but so both, what are my parents like? Are you saying like in terms of their personalities and how they interacted with us or? More like, more like, yeah, I mean that for sure. But also like, was there a, a paradigm of like certain strictness or rules mm-hmm. or authoritarian versus laissez-faire? Um, that sort of framework of their approach in in setting limitations or not setting setting limitations yeah I think that um it was probably in between the two I think so my my mom actually is now she was her whole career but she worked with um special education young children and uh, my dad worked with like young elementary so they were pretty well educated on really how to interact and and teach and blossom children, I guess you could say, but they follow this idea that's called conscious discipline. And it's this theory that you give, and it's so funny. I actually just recently saw them. We had a conversation about it, but the, the whole theory behind this way of, of raising children is that you give them choices. So it's like, you can have like, if let's say that a kid is having like a meltdown in a grocery store, you could say, okay, you can have your mouth or this was a bad example. Okay. Let's say that a kid is like, I want to go to my friend's house tonight. And your parents are like, well, you can either go to your friend's house tonight or you can go tomorrow. Like you don't get to do both. Right. So you're giving them the choice, like one or the other, or like, oh, if you want to have Reese's puffs, you can have them for breakfast, but you can't have them for dessert. Right. So it's giving them the freedom to choose what they want but putting limitations on that and I don't know if I explained that really well um but you're kind of empowering the child to make decisions but also giving them boundaries that they have to live within um and I think that 
having been raised, I think in that kind of environment was helpful in terms of being able to now in my own life, make decisions and like be able to take care of myself. But so that was like kind of a theory that they actually explained to my brother and I, now that we're older, um, of how they encourage parents to raise children. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's, I'm really curious about that. Cause I mean, I, I, uh, well, both those words, conscious and discipline have a lot of power to those, to them. Um, and I've thought about that before with the giving kids choices. Um, I'm sure your parents are familiar with this book as well called teaching with love and logic, mm. which is for teachers. And it, it's similar sort of concept, I think, where you're, you're giving kids these choices so that they can have more buy-in. But I've questioned the premise of that, where it's still within a framework of, well, you have these choices, but I decided what the choices are. So you can't choose option C, which you create on your own. Um, but I'm, I'm, you know, my, my parenting philosophy is really valuable to me. Um, and I'm, I'm wrestling with it still actually, cause I just read this book called boundaries and I definitely disagreed with a chunk of it and with their parenting chapter. Um, but, um, there's a lot of value in like, how do you set these limits with kids in a peaceful way? Um, in a constructive way. And so it's an interesting, it's a really interesting point to me where you have on one hand, I want to be like radical and give kids as much freedom as possible, but freedom doesn't mean no constraints and freedom doesn't mean that the parents' needs don't get met. So I think there's a lot of value to what you've described in the conscious discipline. And I'm, I'm curious how, how could perhaps parents can build off of that with an approach of like feelings and needs communication. Um, have you, have you, have you heard of nonviolent communication? What was that? Non what? Nonviolent communication. Oh, I mean, NVC. I, uh-uh, no. Yeah. Um, Aaron's familiar with it as well from the founder of MindFix. Um, and it's just a framework for expressing what's alive in you and what you're feeling and what, needs you trying to get met as a result of those feelings and then making requests of people to help get those needs met and looking to nurture win-win interactions so i think it's a tool for parents um to tap into even when interacting with a, a little person you know like um when i like so we might say when i see that you when i um when I see that you are looking, when you're grabbing that box of Reese's puffs, <laughs> I'm feeling concerned because I have a need to um, raise you with health and vitality and, and like showing the, the child what your inner world is, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm feeling concerned. I'm feeling scared right now. Cause I'm, I'm worried that you're going to grow up and be unhealthy and sick. And then the, the child can build like an empathetic bridge as well. Like, oh, my, like my parent is experiencing this right now. Mm. And then having a conversation, maybe the child has a need for, for pleasure and fun and tasty sugar. It's fun, you know, like, um, and then how can you, I know I'm kind of talking for a long time right now, but how can you 
uh, empower the child to make choices for himself or herself that are rational, right? So that they can learn like what the consequences are of eating Reese's Puffs. And it's not like I can't have it because my parents said so, but rather, huh, I'm learning that if I, when I eat this Reese's Puffs, I don't feel so good after maybe (laughs) my tummy. Totally. And I think sometimes that's something, I mean, there are a lot of lessons that I think, unfortunately, we just have to learn in life by experiencing them. Like no matter Mm -hmm. how many times someone could kindly communicate to you, like the value of doing or not doing something or like the repercussions of a certain action at the end of the day, I feel like there's just for some reason, we just have to experience them. And then that teaches us. I don't know if that's like some human, like survival instinct. And like, you just have to go through it to like, know what it feels like and to learn from it and like choose to go in a positive direction. I don't know, but I, that's some of the things I've found in life. It's like really hard to not go through it. Yeah. So like giving the child that space, like as long as there's a container of safety, mm-hmm. giving the child the space to make mistakes and experience mm-hmm. failure and frustration and then validating the, validating the feeling, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah, you, you're feeling frustrated because you're not eating the Reese's puffs right now. That makes sense. They are pretty tasty, aren't they? Um, anyway, I, I think like the, what's really interesting to me is like, as meta, like a meta principle is like, how can you, how do you show the kid what cause and effect is, you know, and over time, like nurture their ability to make choices autonomously. But I know I'm not like, it's, it's, it's much, um, simpler to philosophize about parenting than to actually, I don't know, cause I haven't been a parent, but um, I'm certain that it is simpler to philosophize than to put into practice, but I find it really fascinating and valuable to philosophize. And I think if you don't philosophize, then you end up just parenting how your parents p- parented you like by default, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, I'm actually curious about that of like, so we've all been parented a certain way. Do we parent the identical way or the opposite way? Well, if you mean, if you're not being conscious about it. Yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering like, what is the st- stats on like, oh, let's okay. you were raised with a bunch of freedom. Are you going to turn around and then like, be like, that didn't work because I have X, Y, and Z problems. So I'm going to like helicopter parent, like mad, you know, how often do yeah. you do one or the other? Well, yeah. I think the key is if, if you're actually doing the inner work to process what you experienced and then bring, bringing an intention to what you do. But I can imagine that, I don't know any statistics, but I imagine that if you're sort of automatically or unconsciously um, reacting to your childhood as a parent, then you might either, it might just be a split. Like maybe some people are just the exact same way. Mm-hmm. And some people are the exact opposite, yeah. you know, because like they wanted that freedom as a kid. And like, oh, I'm going to give my kid the freedom. But then maybe they don't know how to provide constraints and limits in a healthy way. Totally. Yeah. I, um, I, I think it's, I don't know if you had this, like when you went through some of your coaching programs, but like the ability to recognize that 
like I absolutely love my parents and I think they did a phenomenal job of like raising a family and having my brother and I, and I'm super grateful for everything they've done. And, and like, no one can be perfect. So obviously like Mm. there are flaws and problems and it's so, it was so hard for me to like, be able to acknowledge like, Hey, it's okay to be upset that like things didn't go perfectly in my eyes or like that. I was raised in a certain way that has not always helped me and that, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people probably live in that same boat and it's a hard thing because you have to acknowledge that in order to actually work on some of these things, I think. Yeah. That's why it's so valuable to move beyond the shame and blame paradigm and just letting go of, we're not accusing people and pointing fingers of being a bad person you know, but rather we're also at the same time being hundred percent honest about what happened, like what the facts are. And then you didn't get certain needs met and that we don't need to go, you know, pointing, pointing fingers and, and shaming and blaming. Cause that's when we do that, we're just really just reenacting our own trauma. Um, when we can have compassion for the imperfections of people, as you say, we realize, oh, well, they, they perhaps had their own trauma that they hadn't fully processed because, and then that was passed on. And how can we move beyond pointing fingers and right doing and wrongdoing and simply be honest and compassionate in order to keep breaking that cycle as much as possible? You know what I mean? Yeah. Hard hard work, but it's <laughs> well, I, I, I admire you for that, like mindset of, of setting that aside and, and being willing to acknowledge that you might've felt upset about something. And that doesn't mean that you need to belittle your parents or anything like that. Um, so I'm curious to hear more about your experience with, with beliefs and, you know, this, this program, what we each went through um, and finding these, these beliefs that are perhaps formed as a child that were holding us back. And it's been freaking transformational for me in, in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just curious to hear your, your any highlights you want to share about, um, you know, before and after, before you ever did this process and what, what transformations you experienced. Yeah. Well, and I'm sure you've probably explained on the show, like what the belief work is and all that. Correct. Yeah. But go ahead and um, give a synopsis if you'd like for anyone who hasn't heard the previous shows. Oh man. Um, let's see. <laughs> like, <laughs> if I can and by the way, I did a show with, with our friend Jackson Sullivan. That's the one to go check out if you want to hear the full take on it. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just finding patterns in your life that you don't like, like you're stressed out. Often you constantly have these inner critics saying you're not working enough or you think you're stupid or uh, you're um, overwhelmed in certain situations and then reverse engineering that right to figure out, well, what is it that I would have to believe in order for this pattern to occur, you know, and then, and then dissecting it from there. Um, but like, were there any particular beliefs that, that you've had that you've cleared that were like really impactful that you want to share? 
Yeah, I think so. I know like going into there's, you, I kind of picked like three main areas that I wanted to focus on and removing those beliefs. And um, one of them was about my ability to make decisions um, because I can be so incredibly indecisive. And it's so, it's odd because I have been ever since I was very little, like my dad would always joke that me going to McDonald's as a kid was like, if felt like I was making like the biggest decision for the whole entire planet of, and it was just like, what kids meal do I want to order? Um, so I did a ton of work on being able to be more decisive. And a lot of it had to do with, um, actually like trusting my decisions and letting go of the idea that not every decision is perfect, like letting go of that perfection. And, um, so that process, was really huge for me and being able to recognize, I think too, part of it sometimes is we have a belief and then we continue to tell ourselves that we have this belief and it becomes just like a practice. Like you don't even think about it anymore. Like I just had told myself I'm bad at making decisions or I'm just an indecisive person. But like when you put a label like that on yourself, it's really hard to get out of, to remove it from you. Um, but yeah, so it was, I think that that was really helpful for me was to get rid of the beliefs of my ability to make decisions for myself and to release that, that idea that it's okay to make a decision that isn't right too. And like, you know, you're going to be okay if, if it's not right. Um, so that was a big area for me. And then also, I know this is a little bit different and not necessarily stemming from my childhood, but I had a lot of negative beliefs around men and that they were really dangerous and that they were like only wanted certain things. And, um, that was a big area for me to really work on. And I think that at, you know, I worked on it, um, with the coach for a number of weeks. And then also at the mind camp was probably the most helpful experience that I had in terms of getting over or removing those ideas that like all men are dangerous or bad or, um, things like that. So those are probably like the two biggest areas for me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's freaking powerful. I mean, to have a belief all men are dangerous. That's, uh, it's walking around and you have this in your subconscious mind that half of the population of the planet is dangerous. Well, yeah. And it's so uh, crazy because before going into that experience, I didn't even realize that that was what I believed. And then, right. you know, like when, when you go through the exercise for when that's listening as they, they kind of walk you through a certain like number of examples of like, say like you say the belief out loud and then recognize whether you have like a visceral reaction in your body. Like, does your chest get tight? Do you feel yourself getting hot? Like is an emotion coming up? And some of the beliefs that you say like are totally not charged at all. And they, that you don't feel anything. And then some of them, like for me immediately, I would just be like overcome with some sort of physical or emotional reaction. And so I didn't even recognize like that that was what I was believing and until going through that process. Yeah, that's a really key component I find is that somatic experiencing of testing out a certain language, certain sentence, a belief, and then allowing your full body, like all your, all of your psyche to respond to that. And like, cause you might still think like you could have in your conscious brain. Well, well that's, that's silly. All men are dangerous in your conscious brain. 
what we're looking at with this process is the subconscious mind and, and getting to the root and having these, getting aware of these um, conclusions that we created uh, when we were earlier, earlier times in our life. And it doesn't need to be childhood. It could be at any time. Um, but of course, oftentimes it is childhood. Um, and then kind of getting in touch with that subconscious and allowing that part of you to feel the response when you, when you, when you say that belief out loud, you know, I actually just did one this morning. I found a belief it was, um, I'm inadequate. And then I was like, wait, do I, at first I was like, wait, do I have this? And then I'm like, wait, let me, let me, let me see. Let me let this play out. How do I really feel? And then, and then, uh, got in touch with like that child self, you know, and like, Oh, wow. This, this little guy believes that. Wow. You know? And then I was like, a memory came up of like playing blocks when I was like three and thinking that I needed to create a certain tower of these blocks. And that otherwise I wouldn't be adequate. Like if I didn't build it high enough or something like that. And then you just like reframe that and you realize that that's nothing to do with, the nature of who I am and my adequacy. And um, so, yeah, that somatic experience is really powerful. Um, so tell, tell us more about like the before and after. And cause I think if someone hasn't experienced this modality, then it does, it can seem like it's something that's too good to be true. And of course that's a belief as well that you might want to examine, <laughs> but um like, tell us about the moment when you cleared that belief, all men are dangerous. And then you, it was gone. Like it, it literally is gone. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, essentially hundred percent of the time, this process is going to clear the belief fully where like, you no longer believe Santa Claus is real is, is the best analogy for it. As soon as you realize Santa Claus is real, it is not real. Like you don't go back, you know? So and there's, it can be really like exciting and like relieving when all of a sudden a really heavy belief is, is plucked away. So do you remember that? I mean, I remember at mind camp, you were like, had a moment. I, I didn't, I wasn't around when you went through this process, but I remember all of a sudden you came out and you were like, let's go dancing. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa, she had a, she had a, she had a breakthrough. Um, do you remember what that was like when you, when you, fully finish that process. Mm. Well, and that moment I think was a little bit different in terms of, so I'm like, how can I explain this? So my, the reason why I, I really had that belief was having been sexually assaulted and raped when I was younger. And I had carried that with me for a very long time. Um, and part of the process that really helped me to heal from that was not only doing the belief work, but then also kind of really getting into that like emotional somatic state and being able to go back to that moment and understand like what was happening with myself. And it was really interesting because the facilitator that I was working with was like, let's like give these different parts of yourself a voice. Like, what is your body telling you? Like, what is like, your internal, like your internal dialogue telling you and like, what is your logic today telling you? So like kind of like stepping into these different parts of myself and like letting them speak. And I'd carried around so much like anger towards myself 
about the fact that like I froze in this environment and like really disassociated and like, like I left my body and I was so mad at it for not being able to like do more. And so then, and then I gave that physical part of myself a voice and allowed it to like speak and say like, this is what I was doing. This is why. Um, And then I think it was a lot of that aspect was a lot of healing for myself and like, like truly forgiving parts of myself that I had been so angry at um, and upset with. So it was a combination of like going through that experience, which was really beautiful. And then getting rid of some of these beliefs, like that all men are dangerous and things like that. And it's so funny because after, and this happens so many times for me, but after removing a belief and then you say it, it almost, it seems silly that like you could ever have believed like the Santa Claus thing, like it seems silly that you could have ever believed that there was truly a man flying around, you know, delivering presents to everybody. Like that's the same reaction that I had so many times. And I think on some of these, it's like part of the process that really helped me was being able to recognize that, okay, this is a belief and sometimes it might be true, but you now have the choice and the freedom to decide when that is the case, right? Because I think in this specific instance, like you're walking around having this belief and it's protected you for so long. So you don't want to give it up, right? Or any, that could be the case for a lot of beliefs. Like in a lot of ways, we have them because they're a form of protection. So once you're able to recognize like, hey, sometimes this, this belief might be true, but not always. And I now have the freedom and the self-empowered decision process to be able to say this is true or not moving forward. So I know that was a lot. Yeah, no, I, I, mean, <laughs> I just really appreciate you sharing all that. And, uh, you know, it can be, it can be uncomfortable territory and I appreciate the vulnerability, but, um, yeah, that discernment is a key element here where sometimes the part of you might be fearful to, to clear the belief because it wants some uh, assurance that you're going to have that safety and protection because it's, it has served a role, right? All these parts of ourselves with these beliefs are formed for a reason, you know, and to, to, to serve us, at least in the beginning. Um, but um, yeah, that discernment is, is powerful. And when you clear the belief, um, it doesn't mean that you all of a sudden think all men are safe <laughs> in all situations. You know, yeah. it's like, you still have, you actually have more, more empowerment to be able to, to lead yourself and make, make, um, make empowered choices about what it is, what is, what is healthy for you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So you, do you feel like in like physiologically, um, since doing the mind fix program, like, do you feel just lighter? Cause that's my experience. It's just, I walk around lighter because yeah. this stuff is cleared. Oh, totally. And I, um, I remember as soon as I left the retreat weekend, I went to the airport to fly home. And I had this experience where like, I was waiting in line to get a cup of coffee and the gentleman standing in front of me, like turned around and complimented me. And I didn't, I realized in that moment, like my lack of reaction made me recognize the reaction that I used to have. Like normally I would have like tensed up and tried to leave as quickly as possible. Like get me out of here. I don't want to be around Mm. this person. 
And I was just in that moment, I was like, oh, thank you. And like, I felt in that, in that very moment, I, I recognized how much weight I had been carrying around and like how, ex- how exhausting that had been on my body. Like I was constantly in this almost state of fight or flight. Um, yeah. So that was incredible. That just opened my eyes to be like, wow, I've been living like this for so long. And it feels for the first time so different not to have what I just had become so used to these reactions. Yeah, it's really powerful how the the mind body connection there. And uh, for me at that retreat, I uncovered the belief, it's not okay to relax. (laughs) And man, that I remember finishing that one up. And as soon as we were done, like my whole body like collapsed in in relaxation. Um, And ever since that moment, my like my left side of my back, which for most of my adult life has been pretty bothersome and tight. um, Since that moment, that tension has just been reduced by like 60 to 70%. Like, I used to think it was, oh, it's all just about like my posture and um, stuff like that from a physical standpoint. Um, I knew that like, okay, maybe I'm, maybe it's a little bit affected by like how hard I work or something like that, my mindset. But if you have a belief, it's not okay to relax. Why would your body be relaxed? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's not like it cleared it entirely. Cause like the, you know, there is a physical component where if like, if I sleep, if I sleep on my stomach, for example, that also affect my back, you know, like there is a, if I'm in a weird position in my spine, like, but like, there's a reason that, well, I was just going to say that like the root of this stuff is often in the mind. And that's just been a really amazing benefit of this, of this work is to just be able to walk more fluidly and freely like from a physiological standpoint, Mm -hmm. you're not carrying this stuff. Like um, I had, I've had beliefs about my, uh, my needs don't matter. um, I'm not working enough. um, All that kind of stuff. So, wow. I I mean, I'm just really happy for you that you've had that particular break breakthrough this year. And Mm -hmm. um, it must be just so liberating. Um, and it sort of like dovetails us to a topic I wanted to get to, which is like, and we, we had talked about this in a private conversation a couple months ago about kind of like masculine feminine polarity in this, in the current modern culture Mm -hmm. or like, or lack thereof, or like, what is, what is masculine feminine and, um, what's going on in our culture. And I'm curious about well, maybe we can kind of like connect this to what we just talked about. Like how has since clearing that belief, since clearing that belief, how has your perception of, of that dynamic evolved where um, your comfort level with, with meeting men and like the dating scene and the experience of a man um you know, flirting with you or something like that. How do you view the the sort of 
almost like biological programming that's that's like a healthy programming that's in our biology of like masculine feminine yin and yang um how does how's that evolved for you we can kind of riff on that for a while yeah well I think actually kind of a little bit to the point you were just describing about how your beliefs show up physically in your body I think like a lot of the times if you're living in a state of fear or not feeling like you're good enough or, or whatever that limiting belief might be, you're like closing your body off. Like your shoulders are hunching. Maybe your posture is bad. Cause you're really, really like trying to protect your yourself. And I think like, for me, my body speaks faster than my mind does. So it's became this practice yeah. of recognizing in environments like, Oh, my body just started to close up. Why is that? Am I uncomfortable? Is someone making me feel uncomfortable? Like, is this not a safe place to be? And then kind of assessing it more from like being able to pay attention to what physically was happening to my body um, is like a really helpful thing that I've kind of come to like use and rely on or like just make it a practice to pay closer attention to. Um, but yeah, in terms of, of like dating and things like that since then, I think I've really just felt a more a sense of, I, I'm like, I don't know if confidence is the right word, but more a sense of like comfort in going into environments because I feel like I have more control over myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like I don't feel as much like this person is in control of me or like, I don't know how, yeah, in control of me in that, in that way, which is like really, I think good for both people or like everybody involved, you know? Um, so that's been a really positive thing for me and not even just in like a dating perspective, just like in inner, like interactions with any, like men on the street or at the grocery store or wherever it may be. It just feels a little bit, um, like before I think I used to like back down and shy away and now I'm more comfortable being present. Yeah, I can imagine. And I've noticed that to some degree. So, I mean, since meeting you, um, at the beginning of the retreat and I think, um, I, I can, I can imagine like you're able to relax into the feminine more where there's like, oh, well I can, I can be more flirtatious or whatever. Cause I can trust myself. I'm more comfortable than like, I'm safe, you know? And so there can be, uh, there can be more of that healthy polarity. You know, I think what I see, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, what I see in the culture currently is a lot of the masculine men trying to be more feminine and women trying to be more masculine <laughs> because <laughs> um there's like this and this sort of started probably mid 20th century with kind of like feminist movement coming up um to try to get legitimate needs met right for equality um for women to uh, for coming out of a lot of history of of um, oppression and being lesser than being viewed as lesser than uh, societally than the man. And so this need for equality is, is legitimate. And then what you, I think saw transpire is, is women trying to be more assert their equality and then create and that, you know, enter the workforce enter the professional world, et cetera. And that's intrinsically a masculine energy you know, like the business world, you know, like to be your own independent person. Well, then you're taking care of yourself rather than 
kind of letting go and letting yourself be taken care of by the masculine energy. And so there's that element. And then there's the element from the masculine, like from the male side of um, some of these societal norms changing of and these like societal beliefs, you could say of like men need to be more sensitive or it's bad to be, um, to take on some sort of leadership role in a, in a relationship or because that's not, that's not being equal. Um, and I think there can be, that can be unhealthy work because there is a, a real like programming that's in the nature, you know, I don't even like the word programming. It doesn't sound organic, but like it is our nature to have that sort of yin and yang. So how do we, how do we get all these needs met? Right. How do we, um, operate with what nature gave us and then also have the equality needs met. So go ahead and riff on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. And I, okay. So I think that from my personal experiences, right. So I was an athlete, really competitive. Like I went into engineering, which is a really male dominated industry for almost a decade. And so I was like really operating in this highly masculine state of like creating and executing. And like, I was very, I viewed being like emotional and feminine and curly as weak and like that that's not a safe place to be. And like, you won't be respected if that's how you are. You won't be safe if that's how you are and you won't succeed is, was the belief and like the world that I was living in. And I slowly started to recognize that I think that you're to your point of having our needs met and also having this yin and yang, that there are ways that we can, that women can lead and they're vastly different than the ways that men naturally lead. Like the, the way that we can provide is different than the way that a man can provide. And they're both so valuable. And I think what's where I see the, like the struggles are coming from is like women are trying to lead from a masculine energy, but it's possible to lead from a feminine place and like have a like feminine power and confidence is very different than I think how men can show up in that way, but they're both equally valuable and and get the same needs met. I think what's happened is like these, like, like the boss babes and like being like hyper-masculine in these environments, for one, it's not like our natural state of being. So we're going against our grain all the time, which is exhausting. And I think that there's like a, a, like a juicier way, like a, a more, feminine way to show up in leadership that actually helps as opposed to, I think in some instances, instances, what can happen now, which is hurt environments. Um, so that's kind of one perspective that I've taken on a little bit in the terms of that we all can show up more as our own selves and still have our needs met. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's key there. Show up as your own self. Cause there's also of course, a spectrum of masculine and feminine for each person. Everyone has that in them. It's also organic. And so in this sense, it goes back to self-knowledge, knowing yourself, what, what is it that's real for you? How much, what's your percentage of masculine feminine that's, that's, that's natural to you. Um, and it's likely going to be, if you're a male, a high percentage of masculine 
compared to feminine, but there's going to be both. Um, and so getting in touch with that and then, yeah, not sort of like one size fits all mm-hmm. with your, with your mindset of like, this is how I'm supposed to be. Cause I need to, society is saying I need to be this way. And then if I'm not, then it's bad. Like th- this is what's, this is the distortion and like modern feminism is, um, for example, if, if you want to be a stay-at-home mom and not have a job, like any sort of shame about that is like, not, it's not nurturing for that person, their individual choice. Instead of like saying all women need to have a career. It's like, that's not, that's not feminism. Um, yeah. And I think that that is that, that like kind of shame is in part due to like, we have, we, as like women have put that on ourselves mm. of like, Oh, like that's what you do. And like, you know, but that's just kind of the perspective I've recognized is that, that, that kind of shaming of like, Oh, your stay at home mom is something that like women also do as well. And then you have the interesting perspective of like, if a man decides to like stay at home and like allow his wife to be like their career taker, like that is a totally different dynamic and in place to be. Yeah. And that's totally, totally possible. And it could be completely in alignment with each person's true nature. Mm-hmm. Um, have you heard of this book, The Way of the Superior Man? I have. I haven't read it, but I've heard of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I guess he says it's like, I think it's like 80% of relationships. It's like, it's a standard, like masculine versus feminine balance. Um, But in some relationships, it's going to be like, each person is equal. Like each person has like a balanced masculine feminine. And then in some relationships, it's the opposite where there's like, the the man is more feminine than the woman is more masculine, but like, uh, it doesn't need that doesn't need to be inorganic that can be real like so uh, it's probably it's definitely less common but um again it goes back to the authenticity and finding what makes sense for you um but yeah it's i like that word you said earlier about like juicier approach <laughs> like it's just like it's li- aligning yourself with with your own feminine energy and in working off of your strengths, you know, instead of trying to make your weaknesses, your strengths, like your strength is feminine energy, mm-hmm. then, then lean into that and provide what your strength is in, in a relationship. Um, in any, like, even in like, like, uh, even in like a, maybe a business context, like how can you bring feminine energy, you know? Well, I just, as you're saying this, I just thought of this, it's probably a funny example, but, um, it came to mind was I was at, a music concert recently and I was with two other of my girlfriends and you know it's like usually pretty crowded like when you're in the crowd and and there's people everywhere so you kind of have to like try and make space so you can move and the three of us just we were like dancing to the music and having a great time and like moving around and like flipping our hair and just like really being girls, you know, and it was yeah. interesting because all of a sudden I noticed that there was like naturally all of this space was created in this crowd and that for the, and like the three of us were just dancing in this space. And that was like just a feminine way of creating space for ourselves instead of like if you're a man, maybe like bumping elbows or like boxing people out and like creating space for yourself in the more masculine way. 
but they both do the same thing in terms of like creating space for yourself on a dance floor, but we did them both very differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. And on, on, on the masculine side, like going back to like child raising, like mm-hmm. boys, let them be boys, you know, <laughs> yeah. like if they want to yeah. go play with toy guns, let them play with toy guns. If they want to run around and wrestle, like let them run around and wrestle and like, it's healthy. And if, if you're, if, if it's like this um, constrained, imposed, inorganic stuff is imposed on, like imposed on them in terms of shaping them, like you need to, you need to be more sensitive and you can't play with these certain toys. And it's like, just let them be boys, you know? Yeah. Like, like I, I, if, I, if I like really get curious about the, the opposing perspective to that, like I can understand there's like, again, there's a need for, I guess the opposite of viewpoint would be it's not organic to like for the boys to play with toy guns or whatever. Cause that's, that's something that they're picking up from the culture. And there's like maybe some grain of truth in like, there's cultural stuff that's like socially constructed stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's definitely with like socially constructed stuff of like men can't share emotions, you know, yeah, that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, to suppress these, this biological energy of, of testosterone and all that, that's when we, that's when we run into problems. And I think as, as humans evolve in these coming decades, which I'm optimistic about, uh, let's like move towards the healthy polarity where we can lean into what nature gave us. And then, um, also like live with, with consciousness and like self-esteem and individuality and not just not, not living like not living like um, maybe hunter gatherers did in the sense of like just being owned by the like programming of nature. You know what I'm saying? Like we can, we have, we're volitional beings and we can work with what nature gave us and then choose to, to, to live consciously. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I wanted to sort of like have a little fun here with, with this as well. Like how, how do you want to be approached as a woman in the dating world? And like, oh. I'm like, so I'm, uh, I read this book called the alabaster girl, which is amazing as well about this topic. I don't know if you've heard like, that. Send me all of your books. So you oh, yeah. a lot of good ones. <laughs> I'd be curious for you. To, like, I've never talked to a woman about who's like, who's read that book. Um, I mean, it's basically geared. It's mainly geared towards a, a man and like, and like how to, it's not a how to, it's just like, it's like, it's literally poetry the way he writes this book, um, but Zan Perion. Um, and it's just a masterwork, but he really integrates kind of what we're talking about with, with authenticity piece and, and being your true self and saying what's on your mind and leaning into your, your masculine nature, like have a healthy, authentic masculinity that's expressive. And he talks like one thing he talks about is you want to integrate your upper energy and lower energy. So if your upper energy is like, this sensitive, nice guy who wants to, you know, be really uh, sweet or, or pleasant and likable. Right. And then there's the lower energy, which is like your dark, like sensual masculine, like, I want to fuck you, you know, (laughs) like I'm going to be blunt. Like, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And like that, and that's more like primal, uh-huh. And 
the ideal he's saying is like integrate that where you don't want to be like, if you're just like sensitive, nice guy, then that's the turnoff to be honest to women. And I'm curious your thoughts on that. But then if you're like the opposite extreme where you're just like, you're just like this gorilla and you have no sensitivity and no empathy, right. Then that's a turnoff, but it's also like, it's kind of tapping into like a primal thing there. But anyway, there's, there's a, he talks about like integration, which is a word I love and integrating and just like being able to empathetically and consciously communicate like, Hey, I, I think you're beautiful, you know, like, and, and, or like, let's, 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 uh, he, he will, he'll just be like, Hey, I, I think we, I think we'd be, we'd be a great couple. You know, just like approaching them, approaching the woman, like saying what, what is on, what's on his mind right away. Mm-hmm. And like, and he talks about like, just being, just being really open and like, Hey, look, look at you. You're, you're, you're incredibly beautiful. Like, why would I not want to be with you? Let's, 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 let's go run off. Let's go upstairs. Like, and it's like, but it's like, it's like, read the book and you see how like poetic it is. And there's always a, a trusting respectful energy in his communication he talks about all these nuances um so all that to be said tell me about your perspective <laughs> as a woman of like how would i want someone to approach me yeah do you think do you think men are not um, honest enough in how they approach and they play these games and they suppress their true selves um yeah i mean i think that in the world of dating today and i don't know what it's like for you perhaps, but I, it is rare for someone to approach a woman, I think in real life and say something like that and like, yeah. like flatter them and be like, I would like to take you out. Can I have your phone number? That, that rarely, if ever happens anymore. And I think that women want that to happen. Like mm. that's the most flattering thing. And I think if a man comes from a perspective of being confident in himself and like knowing what he wants and saying, I would love to take you out sometime. Like, can I please have your phone number? You're beautiful, whatever it is. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and to say that, like, I think, I don't know any girl that I'm friends with that's single that would be like freaked out by that. Like, I think that they would love it, you know? if it's someone that they're like interested in. Right. And that doesn't really happen anymore. And I don't, I'm not sure if it's like the, the climate of where things are or like, like living. Cause I live in San Diego. It's like a very like young city and there's a lot happening. And now we have like the social media world where like in any instance, like if you don't, if a girl is or a guy isn't perfect on the first date, you got 800,000 more options out there. And so that creates this like never ending ability to like actually pursue something fully. Um, so it's kind of an interesting world to be in, in terms of dating. Yeah. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that you, that you believe that women want that though, to just be told, especially in person. Oh yeah. And I think what I want, if it's done in like like if, if a man has a lot of confidence in themselves and is like not being creepy or like if they, you know, walk up to you, not feebly or things like that, I think that, that, that would be an incredible way to meet somebody. Yeah. Well, that goes down to like, 
this, again, the self-work, the self-knowledge and the self-esteem and or like true confidence is not something that you just say a certain phrase, you know, it's not trying something on and using a technique. And that's the thing that's, it's kind of the, that's the key with all this stuff is like, it's being yourself, which is something that only, you know, um, and it's not, it's not the words, you know, cause you're communicating way more than words. Yeah. Um, it's, it's your energy, it's your energetic field. Um, so, but yeah, it's just like so clouded now with, with dating apps and, and the, the, the means of communication digitally and the number of, the number of suitors out there. Mm-hmm. How do you sift through the, how do you sift through everybody? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like how everybody else is. No, I think that I actually like when um, I'm dating somebody right now, so I'm not like on dating apps or anything like that, but um, like when I was like, I would very quickly be able to tell if I was interested or like, if I actually was compatible with somebody or would like actually truly like to meet them. And I didn't personally like to spend a lot of time, like messaging people back and forth. I'm like, either we should meet or, or not. Yeah. Like, and I think that that's um, just how I've approached it. It's definitely, it's a it can be a lot of work. I've realized and I've had conversations with friends like they're like I'm just not going to do dating apps for a while I'm not going to like put energy into that because it takes up time and energy and if it's not like a priority in your life then it's becomes harder to do and I think especially in the past like year or so when things were closed down more and like events weren't really happening a lot of people were pushed more towards that direction if they did want to meet somebody and it's so easy to be anybody that you want to be on the internet like you could take 30 minutes to figure out the perfect reply to somebody if you wanted and is that really who you are that's like when it becomes more of like a Mm -hmm. game of who are you actually being is this really your true self and I'm like a hack that I use for that as I would send people voice notes yeah instead of text and then you can hear the person's voice back and it's like way easier to gauge someone's personality and who, like what they're like when you can hear their voice. Yeah, absolutely. And using video as well. Um, I actually have a sponsor for this show, which the one sponsor I've ever had. And uh, it's a dating app. It's like a new, new dating app that's oh, cool. called Drum. It's, it's helping people with this process of, of connecting with people based on their core values. And um, it's, it's video only, actually. So you can't send text messages. Oh, um, that's cool. Yeah. And you have like a video profile and stuff like that. And it's just like, yeah, uh, you know, there's with technology, there's, there's pros and cons and there, there's benefits to having, having the apps because there's just like a much wider potential to find like your soulmate. Like there's a lot more people you wouldn't meet otherwise. Um, totally. But then there's a lot more people in, in the pool or like <laughs> competition. And there's a lot, it's a lot easier for people to have, to not invest. Like if oh this, no, oh, this wasn't this, uh, this, this one date didn't go well. So I'll move on to the next person. Um, have you read modern romance by Aziz, Aziz Ansari? Oh, I did like a couple yeah. of years ago. Yeah. 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 That was like, my book's like six years old now, but um, yeah, I don't, 
my, my, my thoughts and feelings about Aziz Ansari aside, yeah. I think it's a pretty good book. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I agree. Uh, I thought so too. He captures the what's happening in the world of dating like pretty powerfully. And I'm curious to know from your perspective as a man, like what, because obviously like the, the way that women approach dating is differently now too. And like, how would you like women to show up? Like, do you like it when women approach you? Like how have you had any like strange or wonderful experiences in that? Um, I don't really, I don't think I like women approaching me, although it happened on, on the plane a couple weeks ago. And then like, I was thinking about talking to this girl and then she ended up just talking to me. And then it was like, yeah, I was, uh, enjoyed, I enjoyed the connection, but there's like something that I want, like, I want my masculine energy is like, I want to lead. I want, I want, I want to have to give that clarity and direction. Um, so I want that. I think in my highest masculine self, um, what do I want from women? I want honesty. Uh, I don't want to fucking play games. I want to, and I want like communication. Um, I, I had, I had a girl who just like ghosted me the, um, a few days ago for like, we, were, we had a date planned and then went to like confirm it. And then she never replied kind of thing. And I mean, in a, in one sense, like, well, obviously I don't want to be with this person. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but like, I just value, I just value integrity. And um, I, I think, I think women, I think that that's like, that's a point where like, I remember actually Aziz doing a stand up bit about this where like, most people are just afraid to say what they think and say, no, I'm not interested. Uh-huh. Um, and like, I'd rather you just tell me that then there's like, there's no communication at all. And I think that goes back to our childhood experience, right? We're afraid to, we're afraid because we fear that the other person will be hurt. Mm -hmm. And then we actually are really afraid that we're going to feel guilty or we're going to be uncomfortable because the other person is hurt. Mm -hmm. But when we can have, uh, when we're actually self-healed, self-integrated and healed, then we can just say no and we understand that the other person's feelings are their responsibility. Um, yeah. I think that we, uh, it's easy to, I to like victimize someone and be like, Oh, if I tell them the truth, like that's going to be too much for them. They're not going to be able to handle it. They're going to be like really upset. And we don't know that like you, I've yeah. discovered, like I can't put people in like a victim mentality and like, they're not, they don't even have like a say in it. Um, so I've discovered, and it's been like, this was something hard for me, but I was like, I wanted to be more respectful of people. And like, if I wasn't interested in someone, although it was like an uncomfortable conversation or like a message to send, like to be very honest, like in a kind way of like, you know, I'm really appreciative and I'm super flattered that you want to go out with me or whatever have you. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't see this going anywhere for me personally. Like I wish you the best. And, and I've only ever received like really positive and respectful responses from that. Like no one's ever like lost their shit or been super upset. They're more like, thank you so much for being honest with me. Everyone wants honesty. Yeah. 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 
So that's, yeah, it's a fun little uh, pursuit. Like, and like, I have a lot of ideas about how our culture can transform. Um, mm-hmm. And I want to see this element like flourish where we can, A, like work on our, on our own, our own childhood so that we can sort ourselves out so that we're walking around with not projecting these things onto people and, um, and we can have that, that, that real self-esteem and trust in ourselves and all that stuff. And then lean into healthy masculine, feminine polarity. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, it's something it's not, I was just going to say that like the belief work has been really valuable for me in this domain where Mm -hmm. like, I have a whole list, a category of beliefs about sex and relationships Mm -hmm. that has been transformative as well this year where I was like, Oh, well that I have, I had this whole list and now I'm looking back, it makes sense how it was so much harder. Um, it's still like nerve wracking to approach a woman, but, um, it was like really hard for me for a while. Like, and I would like, I would, I would do it, but it was like a false self doing it. Right. And so now as I've done all this work to become my true self, to show up, and be my true self and approach a woman that was, that was like the prospect that I was looking to, to, to achieve. And I had all these beliefs that like, I had these beliefs, like I'm not a man, I'm not masculine enough. I'm not attractive enough. Um, um, girls won't like, girls won't like me. Pretty girls won't like me. All this kind of stuff. Um, I'm weak. This stuff that was like um, hindering my masculinity. So that's been, I mean, this belief work is just incredible. And so that's something that we want to check, I think, um, is what what is it that's holding me back so that internally, so that I can, so that I can actualize that honest, authentic masculine or honest, authentic feminine. Um, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's way more fun. Like I've had more, it's been fun to just be more like in the moment with people and like, um flirtatious and organic and like honest now that i've like cleared some of those beliefs and taken on some of these mindsets that i learned in this book the alabaster girl and um i want to keep leaning into that yeah well and i think it's like i think about it if i was a man like that would be very hard to do to go up to someone and that's like a really vulnerable thing to do to approach a stranger or a woman that you might like kind of know or something and say hey I would love to go out with you. Like that's a lot of vulnerability. So that's sexy, isn't it? Please tell me that's sexy. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it is. No, 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 no. I'm saying like that is. And I, and exactly. I, like, I think what it does is it instills instantly like a level of respect in the other person of like, wow, this person like had the gumption to come over here and do that. That's pretty cool. And something actually that I I think that when it comes to like feminine masculine energy and all of these things you kind of been talking about is like, we have to respect each other. Like women have to like be able to respect men and allow them to lead and take like the, like take on that masculine role. And then at the same time, like men need to respect women and, and show up in a certain way that values them. And like, until we can all do that, I think it's hard to flourish in some of these areas. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. And that kind of touches what I want to say about, about this book. 
the alabaster girl and how he he really integrates through through the book that it's always from a foundation of respect and he talks about like for instance touch and he says when he's when he's um you know if he's at a a gathering and he's he's flirting with a woman and like he'll he'll continually actually engage with touch um to signal his interest in her and to flirt with her but he he's really like expressive in communicating the subtleties there where he says it's always within that um foundation of respect and like he's literally because he he genuinely has the respect he is also signaling that through his touch where mm-hmm. she actually he's signaling it that this is actually i'm being like i'm, I'm respectful of you and i and i'm and value your autonomy and i'm safe um now that's something that's it's a pretty nuanced thing you know and that every there's again there's no one size fits all to this stuff and being in the moment is so key and reading people um but yeah that's that's a thing that's like oh well you know i think for the modern man that kind of feels uncomfortable to even consider like oh well i i gotta i gotta be like just more more walled off because then I might, if I do that, then she'll freak out or something. And there's like a fear. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it really goes back though to that, that inner game, you know, and, and making sure that you're healing your own parts and that you can, and, you know, if it, as someone who's perhaps receiving that type of flirtation, if you're unhealed, then that can be scary, you know? Um, but if you are if actually, if you're confident in yourself, then you can welcome that masculine energy mm-hmm. in a healthy way. Um, have you, have you read the book, the truth by Neil Strauss? No. You know, who Neil Strauss's the name sounds he, really, he wrote that he wrote the game, Okay, which is like a famous book about like pickup artists. And that was like his first thing when he was younger, I was talking about all these like more like primal techniques to tap into the the woman's desires but it wasn't really based on authenticity um and honesty and and then his his book from i think um i think about 2015 as well is is the the subtitle is an an uncomfortable book about relationships (laughs) and he talks about his monogamous relationship and then how he really loves her, but then he has this like yearning to be free and he's feeling, he's feeling constrained by the monogamy. And then he has this desire to, to, to be free and branch out. And then they break things off and then he explores all like polyamory and like all sorts of different relationship setups. And then there's all the struggles with that. And then like over the course of the book, he realizes like he got to solve his childhood trauma <laughs> and all his issues with his mom in particular. And he has all this, all this personal development work and he really like transforms. Um, and then at the end of the book, he actually gets back together with his girlfriend and they end up getting married. Um, although since the book came out, they've gotten divorced, but <laughs> I really, that's the whole thing. But uh, it was a really powerful book 
in the lessons there where like, it's so easy to be attracted to someone else's wounds that you have. And if you're not taking care of your own wounds, then it's not going to be setting up a healthy relationship. So, well, and I think in, it's interesting because there's like kind of, you know, that, that ideology that, you know, you don't enter into into a relationship, like, um, or like, you know, work on yourself before you enter into a relationship. And I think that there's a lot of value in that. And at the same time, at least I've learned that there are certain things that you can't really work on or heal within yourself when you're alone. You know, it's like through partnership and through relationship that you can, that you're faced with certain things that are like either going to trigger you or like help you see things a different way or make you understand yourself better as opposed to if you're alone. So it's like kind of finding the medium in that is what I've discovered is helpful but I don't think there's like a perfect way to do this. Oh, yeah. There's not one way to do it. It's certainly possible to grow through the relationship as the key being each person is taking, taking responsibility for their potential projections or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And then like having discussions about that or like saying, Oh, I felt really frustrated when I heard you say that. Um, would you be willing to explore that with me? Like maybe it's something from my childhood. Like, can we explore that together? You know, like, mm-hmm. um, like that's freaking that's that's the gold standard for me is like being able to like each person owning whatever they're experiencing, and then let's talk about how maybe that came up, uh, mm-hmm. what, what happened in your history, perhaps, so that we can really strike the root of these matters, you know, yeah. um, and take responsibility, radical responsibility for our own experience. Oh man, this has been a great conversation. Just like, this is what I love to do is just let's go deep. I know it's like flying by. (laughs) Um, So yeah, just grateful for, for the the exploration and um, yeah, just tell us more about your show. And like, I'm looking at your previous episodes. You have a recent episode about five reasons to start playing pickleball. (laughs) it's just like love how different topics you have then you have one about overcoming addiction and uh yeah tell us more about what you're up to with um who wears your pants yeah um honestly this creating this podcast has been a huge experiment for me personally and I love to like have conversations with people and learn about what makes them tick and like why they are the way they are and like the more unique and different I think the not like the better but it's just definitely makes for providing people different insights into how to live life and so I've really been exploring like what I find interesting to dive into and what like my audience enjoys listening to and so it's really a podcast that's about like mindset wellness relationships and then because I was an athlete there have been instances where I bring on athletes or people that are specialists in their sport to talk about things because I think through having been an athlete and loving sports there's so much to learn in that arena that you can apply in life in any capacity so it's fun to have people like that on and it's kind of been an evolution and I just love doing it. So I'm going to keep going. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. You just got to do what makes you happy. Yeah. So, and, and I think like the, like, I guess the overall intention of this show for me is 
that, you know, I was living this like very, not cookie cutter life, but very prescribed life in terms of like what society defines as successful and normal and right. And I recognized how unhappy I was in living out that, that way of being. So um, I did a lot, made a lot of changes in my life a few years ago. And from that recognized that there are a lot of people that feel that same way. And so my goal is through the podcast and having different conversations and writing different things to help people recognize like that you can live life in your own way and flourish and be more fulfilled and joyful than you would have been otherwise. So that's what it's all about. I love that. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll do another show in the future about, about that. I love the fact that you have, you told me a little about that in Colorado, about like making a lot of changes and just like taking ownership um, and, and, uh, yeah, just forging that path. So good stuff. Who wears your pants podcast? We got, uh, let's see your website's kirstentrammell.com. Anything else you want to share with, with my audience? Um, not right now. This has honestly been such, so fun. It flew by. I'm, I feel like I could talk to you for hours. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, you'll have to come on my podcast. I would love to, yeah. I will, I will tell everyone who wears the pants. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. That'd be a blast. Um, sounds good. Well, thanks so much, Kirsten. And we'll talk to you later. Awesome. Thank you.